crew crawling, still balling in the mix. It's that six six long dick slim nigga sticking your chick, pulling tricks, looking slick at all times when I'm flipping. Bar sipping, car dipping, Grant Wood grain gripping, still tipping on still four tipping on four rappers, four rollers, four rollers, four hoes, and no packing, and no packing, blowing on that endo. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports' most valuable podcast. Presented by 4 for 4 Football, I'm 4 for 4's Senior DFS Editor, Chris Raybon. Joined, as always, by my guy, TJ Hernandez. Happy holidays, TJ. Chris, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Uh, getting ready for this week, man. Hope you're you're getting everything finished up early before Christmas. And this this might be our uh, our last like real week of of all the teams being viable in DFS, or at least all the starters. I mean, there's not a lot of uh, close playoff races, so... Next week, we could see a lot of people sitting. We could be playing a lot of backups in DFS next week. Yeah, it's going to be a real interesting week next week. So, uh, yeah, got to get it in this week. And uh, before we get into the Saturday slate and the main slate, just want to let you guys know the song that played us in was entitled Still Tippin'. That's Mike Jones featuring Paul Wall and Slim Thug off Mike Jones's 2005 album, who is Mike Jones? One of my favorite songs when it first came out. Had no idea what they were saying. Had to go Google the lyrics, but um, still one of my songs to this day. So I had to throw that on here, throw it back with some Mike Jones. But let's get right into this Saturday slate. It's going to be kind of an ugly one, as you talked about. There's some, you know, not a lot of close playoff races going on. So you have the Saturday slate and you have the Baltimore Ravens hosting the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts really have nothing to play for. Baltimore needs to win their final two games. And then you have the Minnesota Vikings going to Green Bay to face the Packers. And Packers, another team eliminated. Vikings still need to win this game. So it looks like you're going to have two situations where you have one team that's a lot more motivated than the other team. So TJ, does that affect your decisions at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the the players are still going to to play out as you would expect them to. I mean, I, I saw—I don't remember who it was. I saw a player on Twitter a, a couple weeks ago was asked by a, a media member if they're still going to play. I mean, this is their job, you know. So I'm still going to attack Indy and Green Bay uh, like I would if it was the middle of the season. The issue is we just have two really unbalanced teams more than uh, the fact that one of the teams is playing for something and, and the other one isn't. I mean, uh, the the Colts, we have a defense that's really struggled all season. They rake 18th or worst in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to every skill position, while uh, Baltimore has, has been very strong, especially against quarterbacks and, and wide receivers. And then uh, the Green Bay-Minnesota game, I think, even though the spread doesn't show it, I think that game's even more lopsided now with Aaron Rodgers out just because uh, not only is Minnesota's defense so dominant, top five in AFPA to every skill position, but their their offense is hitting on all cylinders with Case Keenum. So I, I think Baltimore, uh, that game has a, a chance to be a little bit closer just because both teams can play a little bit slower, but uh, Minnesota is just a team that I've really – likes to attack uh, all around in terms of uh, using them for my, my fantasy lineups lately. Yeah. You know, Minnesota kind of 
concentrated offense between their key components. You have Latavius Murray and you have Jarrett McKinnon in the run game. They've essentially been splitting it 50-50. Murray handles the goal line work more so, and McKinnon handles more of the passing down work. Had a 100-yard game last week. And in the in the receiving game, Laquan Treadwell still really a non-factor. So you have Stephon Diggs and you have Adam Thielen, of course, and you have Kyle Rudolph, who surprisingly played last week after nursing an ankle injury, only played about 20 snaps, but we'll have to see if he's going to be limited at all. That is something to monitor because if he plays, he's obviously a good play. He's got five touchdowns in his last four games, always a threat for multiple touchdowns, which is, of course, very valuable on a small slate, more so than even a main slate. Green Bay, after getting eviscerated by Greg Olson last week, they've fallen to 23rd in schedule-adjusted fantasy points to tight ends. But quarterback, Let's back it up to the quarterback situation. You have Joe Flacco here. He's come on strong in these last couple of games, or at least strong for him. With, you know, he's been over 15 fantasy points in three straight. And then you have on the other side, you have Case Keenum in the other game as kind of the the top quarterback. And then you have the two underdogs, Brett Hundley and Jacoby Brissett, both a couple of mobile guys, but not working with too much right now. TJ, how do you feel about these quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Thielen's pretty clearly my top guy here. He he leads the league in fantasy points per pass attempt over the last six weeks. And I always like to reference fantasy points per attempt because it, it highlights efficiency. And that's always what we're looking for with our quarterbacks. And at the same rate, uh, in that time span, Green Bay, they've allowed the, the most fantasy points per attempt and the highest touchdown rate to opposing quarterbacks. So I think Case is pretty clearly my guy here. Uh, like I mentioned, both uh, both of these uh, defenses, the the Ravens and the Vikings, really good against the pass. So I don't know if I'm, I'm too excited about uh, Brett Hundley as a, a correlation play, especially if Devontae Adams ends up uh, being held out of this week. So I think just by default, Flacco is going to be my number two uh, they're, they're still in a really good spot, the Ravens, against the struggling Colts defense. Uh, but I, I do think there's a chance that this game is just a little bit lower scoring just because Indy tends to be more run-heavy lately. Uh, Baltimore has, like you mentioned, been passing a little bit more of late, but they can slant towards the run and, and slow this game down. So I could see a situation where this game is a, a little bit lower scoring than we might expect. Yeah, if you think about it, just – in the situations that Baltimore, not only Baltimore, but also Minnesota are in, you know, still have to win to maintain their playoff seating and facing kind of a weak opponents. You would think they would kind of want to just play it somewhat conservatively, run the ball if they can, you know, and not do anything too crazy. Don't get their quarterbacks uh, in harm's way or anything like that. So I think both of these games could actually be kind of well scoring, but I do agree. I think Case Keenum is leaps and bounds ahead of, Joe Flacco only because of the weapons that Keenum has in terms of Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, and Jarek McKinnon even in the passing game. And that's even if Kyle Rudolph doesn't play, add him into the mix. And you're just looking at a lot more upside with the pass catchers there. Running back. Uh, At running back, it's kind of interesting. You have Alex Collins. He's a home favorite. He has averaged over 16 carries and over uh, four targets per game since the bye for the Ravens. Then you have 
as I mentioned, Murray and McKinnon, they kind of split work. You also have Jamal Williams, who still has maintained the lead role for Green Bay. Mike McCarthy said essentially that Aaron Jones still needs to improve in pass protection to earn more reps. Although now you're looking at a situation with Green Bay eliminated with Brett Hungley back there instead of Aaron Rodgers, probably not quite as scared to get Aaron Jones in there for some more snaps than he has been getting. So that's something to monitor as well. So uh, TJ, who who do you think is the the top running back play on the board? Do you, are you going Collins here or do you think it's, it's one of these Viking or both of these Vikings running backs? I actually like both of the Vikings running backs. Like you mentioned, I think a little bit of uh, what we saw last week with McKinnon had to do with uh, tight end. Um, I'm sorry, not Greg Olson, Kyle Rudolph uh, being injured, playing limited snaps. So we saw McKinnon uh, get 32% of the Vikings targets. So kind of filling in for that, uh, that short uh, pass passing game. But uh, this game sets up for something similar. Uh, Green Bay, uh, their bottom five in receptions allowed and receiving yards allowed to opposing running backs. And uh, as we will get to with receivers, but I, I think there's a situation where Thielen might see a, a somewhat limited target share again in this game. So I, I really like McKinnon as a pass catching play. And then uh, if we're looking at touchdown upside, you you have to go right back to Murray. Uh, there, there's only four Four players with more rushes inside the 10-yard line uh, since the Dalvin Cook injury. And Minnesota, they just rush at a high rate when they get near the goal line, the sixth highest red zone rusher rate in the league. So I like those two as my top two running backs. I know a lot of people uh, will be hesitant to play teammates together. As far as the other running backs, we saw both Alex Collins and Jamal Williams see a, a, a not a limited touch share, but lower than what they've seen. Alex Collins saw his lowest backfield touch share since uh, week 10, and the same goes for Williams. We saw Aaron Jones get a, a little bump in uh, work last week, but I think if I'm going to take a flyer, which we, we see a lot of times work on these short slates, uh, I, I might go after Buck Allen, if especially if Baltimore gets up big. Buck Allen saw 37% of backfield touches last week, 13 rushes and a catch, compared to 45% for Collins. So that that dominance that we've seen from Collins uh, the past few weeks is kind of converging a little bit with Buck Allen. And again, on these short slates, I think that might be a risk worth taking. It's interesting. I think Buck Allen, he actually played most of those snaps uh, late in the game. So, you know, there's some thought that, you know, maybe they were just kind of trying to preserve Collins a little bit. Um, Collins actually did see a season high eight targets Mm -hmm. last week. So that's interesting. I think, I think Collins actually, I think he still has the most upside of any running back on the slate, uh, number one, because just of how good he's played. I mean, he's averaging 4.9 yards per carry and now he's starting to catch the ball as well and then um you know I think he still has that upside to 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 handle the majority of the workload whereas Murray and uh, McKinnon are pretty much going to split it either way so I I like the upside of Collins but I do agree the floor is kind of a little bit a little bit lower there to the point where McKinnon is probably the safest floor just from the receptions he's going to get but um, you know, it, it's kind of tough with these Ravens because they just rotate people everywhere. They have Collins, but then they're rotating in Allen and Woodhead also, I think, caught six balls on seven targets last week or something like that. And then you have at the receiver position, Brashad Perriman. They kind of put him back in the mix. So you don't even have one guy filling in for Jeremy Macklin. If he doesn't go, you're going to have probably Chris Moore and Perriman and Michael Campanero. 
And even at tight end, Ben Watson only playing about 50% of the snaps over these past few weeks as well. So it's really tough with these Ravens to find good plays, but I, I do like Collins as the as a top play in that Ravens backfield. Frank Gore, kind of a low, low ceiling, somewhat high floor plays, usually going to get you around 50 to 70 total yards, catch a few passes. But if he doesn't score a touchdown, he probably also struggled to hit double-digit points, especially on half PPR scoring system. So he's kind of there if you need him to make lineups work, but you know, not really a high upside player if you're mostly playing tournaments on this short slate. One thing that's interesting is that Marlon Mack, he's actually broken off a gain of 20 or more yards in seven out of 12 games that he's played. And he played 44% of the snaps last week for the Colts. So some under the radar upside, I guess, with Mack, you got to figure at some point that these teams are going to try to get a longer look at their young players. I think, as I mentioned, you could see that in Green Bay with Aaron Jones, and you could probably also you probably also see it in Indianapolis a little bit with Marlon Mack as well. So I, I think that's something to keep in mind. Wide receiver. Um, at wide receiver, TJ, you mentioned you think it might be a low volume game for Adam Thielen again. D- does that make him? Does that make you kind of hesitate? to pay up for him or to have him as your number one receiver? Are you still locking him in no matter what? I think from a projection standpoint, he's definitely still my number one receiver just because this Green Bay secondary has been uh, very vulnerable against the pass in case Keenum has been very good. Uh, the issue is, especially if Kyle Rudolph is still a little bit limited, they just don't have a lot of other options and we can let a, we can see a defense just kind of zero in on Thielen. I think that happened a, a little bit last week and it's why I was high on Diggs and I'm I'm kind of going back that way. I mean, Thielen is probably still going to be a guy that you want to have a, a a large share of on the short slate. But if we look at uh, DraftKings, at least he's thirteen hundred dollars more than the next next expensive player on the slate. Not the next expensive wide receiver, more than anybody on the slate. So you're giving a, a lot of salary to Thielen on a guy that is probably going to be shadowed by Demarius Randall. This is something you highlighted in your review this week. Uh, we saw Demarius Randall uh, play really well against uh, Devin Funches last week, who was a very chalky play in the week before. After Josh Gordon's touchdown, Demarius Randall played very well against another very chalky play. So I would assume Thielen is going to be very chalky. People are just going to see this matchup against Green Bay. Uh, but if I mean, not it's not always just getting that player that pops. Sometimes it's fading that big name that everybody else is on on these short slates. And I, I think there's a chance that uh, that a uh, four or five target game is in Thielen's range of outcomes here, especially if Minnesota gets up big. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Demarius Randall has been playing really well. He can play in the slot as well. So uh, you would think he would be on Thielen, uh, who had a monster game last season to close out the year. I think it was sometime in the last couple of weeks against the Green Bay Packers. So you know that is fresh, still probably fresh on their minds, even though it happened a year ago. They don't want that continuing to happen. Thielen did have a pretty solid game against them this year as well. So I, I do think that's definitely a possibility uh, for the Ravens. We have Mike Wallace probably leading the way again for them at wide receiver. Jeremy Macklin, don't know if he's going to go. Wallace has been over 70 yards receiving in each of his last three games. 
He's got eight or more targets in three of his last four games. So he is coming on a bit. The Colts secondary is really banged up. So Mike Wallace probably in a good spot here. And for Green Bay, I mean, if Devontae Adams sit, it's going to be really tough for Jordy Nelson because he's probably going to get some type of shadow coverage from Xavier Rhodes. And Jordy just really hasn't produced since Aaron Rodgers went down the first time. Even in Rodgers' game back last week, Nelson only three catches for 28 yards. Rodgers tried to hit him deep on one play and threw a pick, but it's it's been tough for Jordy. So he, priced up there, you know, pretty highly because I think the sites thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be back. It's hard to justify Nelson as anything more than a really contrarian play in a GPP. Randall Cobb will probably see the most targets if Devontae Adams sits. Cobb at 14 targets last week, eight the week before with Brett Hundley against the Cleveland Browns. So Randall Cobb is probably the guy you want to look at in that scenario if Adams sits Tight end. And then a tight end. Already mentioned Rudolph. You have Jack Doyle. I think he's pretty much the top option if uh, Rudolph sits. TJ, would you agree? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Doyle is a guy that he, he's he's kind of going to be a floor play just because this uh, indie offense isn't moving the ball well. They're not sustaining drives. So his, his target share is high, but his overall targets and, and opportunities in the red zone are low. But uh, still, he's going to see such a big percentage of that target share uh, that, that I do like Doyle. I, I, I'm really keeping an eye on Rudolph's uh, practice this week because, like we said, he played limited touches uh, last week. And if if it looks like he's going to be a full go, I'm probably bumping him up to my, my favorite tight end on the slate. And he's really going to determine what I talked about uh, just with Thielen. If they're able to, them being the, the Packers, uh, to not worry about Rudolph or knowing Rudolph's going to play limited snaps and they can pay more attention to Thielen. Otherwise, that offense kind of opens up a little bit more with Rudolph on the field. So uh, Rudolph might kind of be the key to my whole uh, lineup uh, selection on this slate. Yeah, it makes sense. There's really only Rudolph and Doyle to think about. As I mentioned, Ben Watson playing only about half the snaps. If you're making Joe Flacco lineups, obviously you can get that stack in. But Watson, 39% of his yardage and a quarter of his catchers have come against the Cleveland Browns in the two games. And he hasn't really done much in the other games this season. So that's something to keep in mind. And then we, we did see Richard Rodgers pop up for a big game last week, four targets, four catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown for the Green Bay Packers. But, of course, that was with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is no longer on the active roster, so the Green Bay tight ends, hard to justify them against a good Minnesota defense. So, yeah, I think it's really going to come down to how you allocate your plays between these Ravens and these Vikings as you mentioned, TJ, I really like the idea of stacking the two Minnesota running backs, especially if you're doing it in a lineup where you aren't using Case Keenum because, as I mentioned, you might just see one of those somewhat conservative scripts for the Minnesota Vikings where they 
try to just play a little bit close to the vest, use their running backs in the passing game, run the ball, and get out of Lambeau with a win. So I think if you stack both of those guys up and then you have, let's say, a Joe Flacco stack going on the other side or something like that, you can also pair the uh, Murray and McKinnon with the Vikings defense as well. That would kind of reinforce that same type of script. But it's worth noting that the Ravens are the bigger favorite on the slate as we record this, they are 13 and a half point favorites, while Minnesota is a nine point favorite because they're on the road. If they're at home, they'll probably be more like an 11.5 or 12 point favorite. So just a I think Minnesota is the better value at defense. Would you agree, though, TJ? Defense. Yeah, they're the better value, but again, you mentioned Baltimore is at home, and we have seen uh, we we saw Brett Hundley start to pop a little bit before Aaron Rodgers came back. So, if one of these offenses is going to put up a fight, I think it is way more likely to be Green Bay, just because they have better players, they have a better quarterback. Uh, Indy just isn't getting anything going right now, so I, I don't see a, the, the only situation where the Indy Baltimore game is close is if it's slow, low, low, and low scoring. Uh, whereas there's an outside chance that Brett Hundley could put up a decent game against Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to Adams. If Adams is out, mm-hmm. I would I would take my chances with Brissett because at least he's got T.Y. Hilton. Sure. You know, uh, Hundley really would have – I mean, Jordy Nelson – we kind of we kind of were scared about this, I guess, a couple of years ago when in, in real fantasy drafts when he was coming off the injury and we were worrying, is he going to slow down? And he had that really good season in 2016. But even this season, you know, he wasn't really putting up the, the yardage numbers with Aaron Rodgers, was just dominant in the red zone where he could use that big body. Mm-hmm. But it's clear at this point of his career, he's lost a bit of a step and he's no longer able to create the type of separation that he did in his prime. So that's going to be tough for Aaron Rodgers, I mean, for Brett Hone, excuse me, at least with a guy like T.Y. Hilton, he gets all the defensive attention, so it's tough for him to pop off. But every once in a while, you see him get behind the defense. I believe he got behind Jacksonville a couple weeks ago and scored a touchdown. So that's another guy to think about for GPPs as well because he's a guy that just doesn't really fit too well with any type of roster construction um, that you would kind of land on by default so he's a guy but he's also kind of cheap and he's a guy with a ton of upside even though the floor is pretty low as we've seen the only thing with Hilton is he usually tends to have his monster blow-up games at home they are on the road in Baltimore it's going to be a tough place to play Jacoby Brissett taking a ton of sacks too so that's another uh, plus for the Baltimore defenses that they should be able to get home on Jacoby Brissett, and that's probably why they're priced up so high. Jacoby Brissett has taken 49 sacks this season. That is six more than any other quarterback in the league. So Brissett has been decent with the turnovers. He's only thrown seven picks on the year, but taken a ton of sacks. And we all know that could create fumbles and situations where the Baltimore defense could flourish. They already have, I believe, how many is three shutouts on the year? So this could be another one of those spots where we see the Ravens kind of uh, just shut the door on the coast early and not let them score. So I, I do think you still want to have exposure to the Ravens D, even though the Vikings defense is the better value because they're a thousand dollars cheaper uh, on DraftKings or it was eleven hundred dollars cheaper on DraftKings, cheaper on FanDuel as well. So uh, I do think that, uh, you know, 
both of these defenses are in great spots and you can't really go wrong. But it's interesting because these last few primetime slates now, we've seen a contrarian defense, kind of the lowest owned defense, be the defense that ended up scoring the most points. We had the Miami Dolphins against the Patriots a couple weeks ago on Monday night. And then we had the Oakland Raiders last week. I think they scored seven points, and that just happened to be the most points of any of the defenses on that primetime slate between the Falcons, the Bucks, and the Cowboys. So, you know, if you're looking for a contrarian defense, are you going with the Colts or are you going with the Packers? I probably bet against Flacco if I, if I can, uh, just <laughs> just because it's Joe Flacco, and that's probably uh, the only reason. Like you said, when it's it's pretty razor thin when it comes to spots like this, uh, but we we know Flacco could go full Flacco at any time. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm with you there. Uh, you know, I know the Packers are at home in Lambeau, but. I, you know, I, I don't know what the state of this team is now that they are officially eliminated from the playoffs. They could be suffering a big letdown game. We know the crowd isn't going to be none too pleased that their Aaron Rodgers dream ended after just one game. So I don't know if that home field advantage is necessarily going to come into play the way it normally would in Lambeau in December. So I am with you there. I think Flacco and, and that Ravens offense always, you know, has the potential to revert back to the form that we've seen them in time and time again throughout Flacco's career now, which is uh, an offense that struggles to get the ball downfield and ends up turning the ball over. So we'll see, but you know, that's something to keep in mind that it's not always a defense that you think sometimes on these short slates, you know, it's not, you can get a fumble recovery or a tip pass or something crazy and the defense can get a, a touchdown or get a return touchdown or something like that. And, there's only four defenses on the slate. It's easy for even the lowest projected defense to end up being that high own defense. So that's something, you know, quarterback, defense, and tight end are those three positions where you can only have one. So you got to kind of think about that on a small slate when you're creating your lineup, especially for GPPs. It's like, okay, do I have any blind spots? Is there any situation that I'm not accounting for where maybe, you know, if I had just swapped this one defense in, my lineup would be looking a lot better. So um, always want to keep that in mind. Uh, as far as any kind of Hail Mary plays, again, it's tough. The Ravens, I mentioned they're, they're, they're rotating all their receivers behind Wallace, you know, for Green Bay. Geronimo Allison saw an uptick in snaps last week, but now that Aaron Rodgers is out of the picture, we could see Green Bay going to more heavy sets, playing two tight end looks and not really throwing the ball all around the yard like they were last week trying to come back against Carolina for the Indianapolis Colts Dante Moncrief questionable with an ankle injury actually had eight targets against Jacksonville in his last game that he played that was tied for a season high so if he's healthy I mean you would think they would want to get him some looks he's been a had a disappointing season thus far and uh, Kamar Aiken and Chester Rogers will probably play in his absence if he doesn't go. I think I'd go Rogers over Aiken uh, in that in that scenario. But it's really kind of tough. There's not a lot of, of of guys that you can look for and feel comfortable even throwing the darts. I think, as you mentioned, TJ, probably just look at Javorius Allen and and these running backs, Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones could kind of is that see an uptick in snaps and. I mean, that's really about it, would you yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, I, I think 
I'd probably be willing to to take a shot on Geronimo, in, especially in a, a lineup where I have almost a, a full Viking stack just as a correlation play, like you mentioned, especially if Devontae Adams is out, Xavier Rhodes is going to be on Jordy and, and Packers may be forced to throw. Uh, so that, that cheap Hail Mary correlation, bad game script play uh, could play out. But other than that, yeah, maybe Marlon Mack um, or, or uh, Buck Allen. Yeah, Geronimo Allison played on 46 of the 70 snaps last week. Eight targets, five catches, 33 yards. Had actually played 19 snaps the week before and was targeted four times, had four catches, 429 yards. So four targets on 19 snaps from Brett Hundley. That That's something to keep in mind. I, I do see, see why you like Geronimo there. But yeah, as I mentioned, I think this slate – is going to kind of come down to to which Vikings and which Ravens you have in your lineup. We usually try to find contrarian angles for these things, but there's really not not a lot here as far as these games, two, two games with huge spreads. But let's take it now to the main slate. We'll jump into the position-by-position position breakdown, which give you guys a – player we like at each position we'll give you a couple wide receivers one on FanDuel and one on DraftKings and TJ why don't you start us off with who you got a quarterback on the main yeah, slate a quarterback I like this week he he doesn't pop on on four for four value reports he's, he's up there but not way up there that's Matthew Stafford uh the Lions are in a really good spot against the Bengals this week Stafford's uh relatively affordable especially on DraftKings 7900 on FanDuel 6200 dollars on DraftKings the Lions are favored by by four and a half at home and uh their implied point total is 23.75 so it's not going to to jump off the screen especially this week when we have quite a few teams with uh high implied point totals but uh Cincinnati could be down as many as five starters this week. We saw that last week, I believe, three of those starters uh, could be uh, DBs, and that just sets up for a, for a pass-first offense to really go off against Cincinnati. They've uh, they being the Bengals, they've allowed 19 fantasy points in three straight games, and if we adjust for strength of schedule, the Bengals rank 25th in fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Uh, Stafford, I've, I talked about efficiency a little bit earlier. Stafford's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks of late, fourth in fantasy points per attempt over the last six weeks, and like I said, Detroit, they're, they're going to throw first. Second in uh, Game neutral passing rate over the last six weeks, fourth in red zone passing rate this year, 75% of their offensive touchdowns have come through the air. So even if they don't put up a 30 spot, if they put up four touchdowns, you know, three of those can come from Stafford. So I really like uh, the Lions against a banged up Cincinnati defense that uh, doesn't know who their head coach is going to be next year. (laughs) Yeah, man, that was... That was crazy. That that news came out, and then they just went out and got smashed. Yeah, that, by Minnesota. Yeah, I know we talked about teams, you know, still playing for pride or whatnot. But if there is one team that looks like they've shipped it in, I think it's probably the Bengals. Yeah, but this is the NFL, though. The minute you think that, <laughs> <laughs> then they come out sure. and play like the most inspired game. Like I think I feel like that happened with the Giants a few times, where every time we think they're dead in the water, then they come out. You know, they they uh, what do they do? They like be- beat the Broncos in Mile High mm-hmm. that one week, and then they uh, Eli Manning throws for like eight hundred yards <laughs> last week. It's crazy. Sure. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, no, I'm totally with you, though. Uh, you know, especially at this time of year, we record this Wednesday night. And as, as we always like to remind you guys, it's kind of tough because we get all these injury reports on Wednesday and we really don't know whether to take them seriously. I remember last week, you know, I thought Leonard Fournette was just kind of a maintenance mm-hmm. day. He ended up missing the game. Adam Shaheen, same thing on the Saturday game. So, um, you know, that's something to kind of watch as these next, as these next two weeks, especially unfold is just what, who's, who's on the injury report and who's being put on injury reserve, whose season is ending because, a lot of times, you know, one guy here, one guy there. Next thing you know, you're looking at a, a whole different defensive line or a whole different linebacking corpse or something like that. And it could be something that another team could take advantage of. And it'll be a weakness that won't really pop up anywhere on the stat sheet in terms of something like fancy points allowed or just fancy point, you know, any type of defensive stat. So definitely something to keep in mind. Vontez Burfick is the big one for the Bengals. If he's not back, I think that really – it hurts their defense because he's that guy in the middle making the calls and he's the guy, you know, playing the run can, can do some things in the passing game as well. So, you know, he's still, he's still not back. And if he's out, I think that really is an upgrade for these Detroit lions. And you're right. I think this is a game that I don't think too many people are going to know what to do with, you know, AJ Green's salary is kind of in that tempting range. Darius Slay has been playing really well. However, at the cornerback position, probably going to shadow AJ. And then you have Eric Ebron kind of as that punt play at tight end. But yeah, I think Stafford is kind of an interesting pivot in that game. For me, I'm going with Cam Newton. He's at home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He cost 6,800 on DraftKings, 8,300 on FanDuel. And as you guys probably know by now, we project probability of hitting cash game value on four for four and Cam Newton has the top projected probability on both sites, FanDuel and DraftKings among all quarterbacks. And he's also the top value on both sites by nearly three points. So our value metric is essentially kind of a, uh, there's a, a, a target score for each salary range, depending on your position. Um, it's based on historical scoring and whatnot. So a three point, edge literally means that Cam Newton is expected to to score, you know, three points above expectation more than than any other quarterback on a slate. So in a really good spot against these Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are dealing with some injuries of their own. One of their linebackers, Darius Glanton, one of their reserve linebackers, he just went on injured reserve. Another one of their safeties, uh, Evans, he went on injured reserve as well. So, uh, and Vernon Hargraves as well, who actually ended up after they put him in the slot more ended up being at least statistically their best corner. So now he's, he's been gone for a couple of weeks. They've been playing Ryan Smith out there opposite Brent Grimes, Robert McClain still in the slot, but I think there's going to be a lot of ways that Cam Newton can take advantage of this defense has Greg Olson back playing at a high level. Christian McCaffrey looks borderline unstoppable at times in terms of just some of the plays they, they can draw up for him. I mean, Cam Newton last week, essentially just, uh, you know, I think it was who has a Clay Matthews thought a wheel right route was coming or something. And all they did was send McCaffrey on a fake wheel route and he just waltzes into the end zone. And then Cam put up four touchdowns last week with, and David Funch just had one catch. So <laughs> there's a lot of room for, for Cam Newton to, to grow still in a lot of different ways that he can beat 
this Tampa Bay defense. And I think you mentioned this on the pod last week, TJ, but Cam Newton's rushing floor is what has really made him a play that you can rely on a little bit more. I'm always hesitant to fully buy into Cam just because he's one of those guys that can become inconsistent at any moment. And it really will have nothing to do with the matchup. He just can be off with his throws at times. But if he's running the ball the way he is now, he's had 10 rushing attempts per game since the bye. Uh, that's going to really aid his floor and allow him to, you know, even if he throws a couple interceptions or missing throws and ends up missing out on some yardage because the team has to punt the ball or whatnot, he still gives you that rushing floor. And, you know, that's something that I think is a real positive and that really helps him in this kind of situation. You know, he's really running a lot more period since the opening three games of the season. He ran only 14 times. They were trying to say, hey, we got to preserve Cam. We don't want him to run this much. I think they it's kind of a reaction to that ugly concussion he suffered on the two-point conversion last season. But uh, he's he's been running again, just like old Cam. And I think you're going to get another strong performance from him. Tampa Bay's defense has really been struggling on the road this season. And I think that's why you see the point spread up as much as it is in this game. As we record this, it's hovering between 10 and 11 points. And when I, when this game, when I first saw this game on a schedule, I thought it was going to be more of like maybe Carolina's favored by seven points. And especially after Tampa Bay held their own against Atlanta last week on Monday Night Football, I, I thought the spread would be a lot closer, but it's it's been getting bet up and it's 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 in double digits now. And I think that that has something to do with Tampa Bay's just really really been a lot worse of a team when they go on a road. So I like Cam Newton uh, in this spot. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned about Cam, the, the risk with Cam is always his, his passing inconsistency. I mean, he just uh, hasn't been a, a accurate, consistent, efficient passer over his whole career. Even as in his MVP season, we saw him throwing quite a few interceptions. We just didn't notice it because he was, he was scoring so many fantasy points, but uh, highest touchdown rate among quarterbacks over the last six weeks, besides Nick Foles, who only has a, a one game sample size and, and Cam has just one pick over those last six games. So, uh, you can argue that right now over this stretch, he's actually playing better than his MVP season. And I think probably a lot has to do with what you mentioned, having Christian McCaffrey giving him a, a lot more easy throws instead of just throwing uh, to those big bodies that we've seen in the past. But uh, yeah. So yeah. And uh, I, yeah, no, sorry, TJ. I was just going to say that that six game sample you talk about, that's something that I found in my research when you get to around six, seven games for quarterback, that is the only position where at least by the numbers over a large sample, obviously there's going to be different relevant samples for different players, depending on somebody gets hurt, this and that role change. But just when you take a, when you take all quarterbacks and try to find, okay, what sample size correlates the most to their fantasy production in the next game, it's six to seven games for quarterbacks. And they're the only position where you're throwing out games, every other position, essentially the more games you have, it's it's becoming slightly more predictive, but quarterbacks, after you get it to about that seventh game, then you can start dropping off games and you'll increase the predictiveness of, 
of your data. So that's something to keep in mind. And Cam is Cam's hot right now. Yeah, he, he's definitely hot. Uh, moving on to running backs. We, we do have a few uh, value options available at running back, but they, they could become obsolete or maybe tick down a little bit. Uh, Giovanni Bernard and Devontae Freeman have all of the work right now, but Joe Mixon might return this week and Tevin Coleman might return this week. So uh, in in hope of keeping uh, the, the podcast from being obsolete by the time the Injury report comes. I'll, I'll jump to uh, one of my my more favorite uh, higher price guys, and that's Kareem Hunt, who is eighty three hundred on Fanduel, eighty four hundred dollars on DraftKings, and uh, the Chiefs get a a phenomenal matchup against the Dolphins this week, favored by ten points at home with a implied point total over twenty six uh, points. If we adjust for strength of schedule, the Dolphins rank 29th in fantasy points allowed to opposing running backs. They've allowed running backs to score 15 plus PPR points in four straight games. But if we look at uh, team fantasy points allowed, they've allowed 27 plus uh, team running back PPR points in each of those games. And uh, Kareem Hunt's going to get the, the majority of the workload, it looks like. Ever since the Chiefs have uh, turned over play calling duties to Matt Nagy. Uh, we've seen Hunt take over at least 86% of the backfield touches. And that's what we, he was doing earlier in the year, but that started to dwindle a little bit. He saw a three or four game stretch where he was only seeing about uh, two thirds of the touches, but now it's it's uh, the Kareem Hunt show again, 53% of team touches in back-to-back games. And uh, even if we include those low touch totals that I mentioned over that short stretch, uh, still the fourth highest team touch share over the past six weeks. And uh, not only has Nagy allowed Hunt to kind of take over that featured back role, but uh, one thing that we were worried a little bit about Hunt, even when he was dominating touches earlier in the year, was his touchdown upside. He was scoring uh, from uh, from far out, but he just wasn't getting a lot of opportunities near the goal line. That switched a little bit. We saw him almost score three touch touchdowns. He dropped a, a ball that kind of touched the grass last week. Uh, but Nagy has the Chiefs running on 58% of the red zone plays since he's taken over. Uh, before he took over play calling, the Chiefs were uh, throwing 64% of the time. That was the third highest passing rate in the league. So a little bit of a shift in philosophy in terms of uh, personnel and in how they want to score the ball when they get in close. So I think that's a really interesting thing to note because uh, that was hurting Hunt's ceiling a little bit earlier in the year. And it looks like he's going to have a lot of scoring opportunity here against Miami. Yeah, those are some great points there. And I've kind of noticed it too. It's just you watch the Chiefs play now and their offense just seems more sensible for whatever reason with Nagy taking over. It just seems like they're doing what they're supposed to do because they, they do have a ton of talent, but you know, that, that, that tidbit you mentioned about them reining it in a bit in the red zone, it makes, makes sense because yeah, you have Travis Kelsey and of course you, you're trying to get the ball to him as much as you can when you have to in the red zone, but they really don't have any other receiver that's built for the red zone, I mean, you have Albert Wilson is a, the nominal number two. Tyreek Hill's not really a red zone type of player. Demarcus Robinson just doesn't seem to quite be be ready to to contribute at this level yet. And besides that, you have an, all those other kind of fast guys like uh, uh, DeAnthony Thomas. And it seemed like Andy Reid was just hell-bent on scheming up all these crazy mm-hmm. design plays 
And you would see, it would be frustrating too, because then you, all of a sudden you'd see like Albert Wilson get like a one yard TD catch. And you're like, <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. But long term, that's just not that sustainable. I mean, I think here and there you can do it, but we've seen them do all kind of crazy things. I mean, weren't they the team that they had, um, what was it? Don Tari Poe last year yeah. throw, yep. throw like a touchdown. Yeah. Like the chiefs just are, have these, they were just doing some crazy stuff on the Andy Reid. So Matt Nagy seems like he's just kind of calmed it down emphasizing their strengths and they're playing some good football. So yeah, I think you want to continue to ride Kareem Hunt. And speaking of continue to ride Todd Gurley, 9,100 on both sites. Well worth it. This is a guy who I've been, I liked all year, you know, even in the preseason, I thought he was going to be that, you know, number three running back in fantasy behind David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. Of course, DJ got hurt, but Todd Gurley, I mean, ever since he became involved in the passing game, that's just really changed his whole outlook in terms of what he's been able to produce on a weekly basis. He's been over 100 yards from scrimmage in 11 of his 14 games. He has 13 rushing touchdowns on the season, four receiving touchdowns. So 17 touchdowns in 14 games. That's over a touchdown per game. And it's just been a really high floor season for Gurley. There's, it's, it's tough for him not to give you double digit points. It's tough for him not to give you 15 points. I mean, he leads the league in carries inside the 10 yard line with 29 also leads the league in carries inside the five yard line with 16. So he's essentially the quintessential Fancy running back gets work in the receiving game, 5.3 targets per game. He gets 18.4 carries per game. He's getting the yardage. He's being efficient, 4.6 yards per carry. And he plays 81% of the snaps. And that will go into the 90s in games if they stay competitive. He actually got pulled after 63% of the snaps last week, but he had already racked up four touchdowns. So just a really strong play all the way around pretty much matchup proof doesn't matter who he's going against I mean in the last three weeks he's gone against some some pretty tough defensive fronts I know Seattle was a little banged up but he went against Arizona uh still put up you know 150 total yards Philadelphia 13 carries 96 yards a couple of touchdowns three more catches for 39 and then he went against Seattle 21 carries 152 yards three touchdowns and then another touchdown catch three receptions for 28 yards in that game so he's been able to do it on the on the ground in the air pretty much any way you need and especially if you're looking for just that that high floor cash game play I think Gurley's still the guy you want to build around I know there's a lot of other options that are a tad bit cheaper that you can make an argument for and I think in tournaments you definitely have to consider that just for roster construction because if you can get two or three of these stud backs in your lineup instead of Gurley and then kind of getting a bunch of value plays, I think that still is the way to go. But if you're looking for a cash game play to build around, it's Todd Gurley this week. Yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously he's not going to replicate what he did last week. I mean, you never know, but I think he could put up another week where if you don't have him in your lineup, you could get kind of lapped by the field just because this is a Tennessee team that – even if they limp into the playoffs, I think they, they're they probably the worst team with a winning record this year. They, they've they ran the most plays in the league uh, within one score, which basically means that 
the ball's been bouncing their way uh, the right way a lot this year, but they, they've lost their last two games. And uh, when they have faced uh, decent offenses, they we've seen them put up uh, allow some pretty big numbers. They just allowed a, a well, they're different with Garoppolo now, but they just allowed San Francisco team to put up twenty three on them. I think LA could really run away with this game this week. Yeah, it's 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 one of those games where. If if Tennessee's not ready for what's coming, man, they're going to be in for it. But then again, you never know. I mean, again, this is the NFL. LA's going on the road. They're just coming off a big win. You know, this could always be a letdown spot too. Mm-hmm. So you never know. But either way, I mean, that's the whole point with Gurley is that even in the toughest of matchups, he's produced in the box score. He had a game against Minnesota in week 11 where only managed 15 carries for 37 yards. But because of that, red zone and scoring position involvement that I spoke about was able to salvage that game with a touchdown also caught three passes for 19 yards his only real hiccup was in week five against Seattle where he carried 14 times for 43 yards and fumbled but did not score a touchdown because the ball got batted out of his hands by Earl Thomas on the one yard line and it ended up being a touchback which is a rule that we've seen a lot of this season so it really took that that wonky rule to uh, prevent Gurley from putting up a big day. So I think you're getting a high floor, even if the Rams maybe uh, don't quite do as much as they, as they did against Seattle last week. Sure. They were pumped up for that game. This is kind of one of those, those, you know, interconference games where it, it might be, uh, you know, might not be as much, mo- quite as much motivation, but LA still has play playoff seating to play for. So I expect they'll, they'll be ready under Sean Pay- uh excuse me, Sean McVay. Yeah. If you're, if you're someone that t- tends to jam in Le'Veon uh, whenever he's on the slate, he's not on it this week. I think you should uh, by the same logic, try, try to jam in Gurley this week, but uh, moving on to wide receiver, I like two wide receivers that were very chalky this week, uh, that uh, uh, last week that underperformed a little bit. Uh, Devin Funches on Fandle, $7,000 versus the Buccaneers. Uh, like we mentioned, he, he struggled last week, but he was com- covered by Demarius Randall, who we mentioned at, th- at the top of the show that's been uh, playing pretty decently the past few weeks. Uh, even though Funches only saw four targets, two of those targets were in the red zone, and I think people might be a little bit worried about the return of Greg Olson, but uh, Olson didn't see any red zone targets. So if, if we believe in Cam and we're following uh, those red zone targets on FanDuel like we should be, uh, Funches is still getting those looks, and I think we'll uh, see his targets uh, back up a little bit without Randall this week. Uh, he's averaging a red zone target per game since Kelvin Benjamin trade. Uh, one red zone target per game is, is quite a lot. So that's a, a pretty decent number to look at. And Tampa Bay, we mentioned they struggle against quarterbacks. They allow the most receptions and yards to wide receivers this year. Uh, Carolina projected for over 28 points. So uh, lots of red zone opportunity, I think, to to go back to a, a chalky play that underwhelmed last week. And then on draft. DraftKings. Michael Thomas is our top projected value on DraftKings at $7,600. He had a good game last week, but he could have had a huge game. So I think uh, people, even though even though he played well, I think people might be a little upset after rostering Thomas quite a bit last week. But he's been uh, one of the most high volume, one of the most consistent wide receivers lately, averaging ten and a half targets per game and a thirty two percent target share over the last six weeks. Uh, only three players have seen at least eight targets in six straight games. Michael Thomas is one of those players, and one number that we like to look a lot, Chris, is uh, 
CV or uh, or just a way to measure a player's consistency. And Michael Thomas has been the most con- the second most consistent player in terms of weekly targets. So we should be able to project him fairly accurately uh, over that six week span. Only five players have more red zone targets, and uh, Atlanta is a team that is is stout against running backs. Second in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs but 16th against receivers. Now, obviously against this New Orleans offense, that might not matter as much just because of how they scheme their offense, but it's still definitely something uh, worth noting. And this is a game that uh, is projected for a really high point total, 52.5 points uh, for the game total. Saints are favored, projected for 29 points. So Thomas's consistent targets should continue to continue to see a heavy red zone volume. I really like him at his still relatively affordable price on DraftKings. Right. And I just wanted to ask you, how do you uh, factor in previous meetings in terms of when you're looking at receivers and the, their previous meet, meetings in these division games? Because if you look at Michael Thomas's career against the Atlanta Falcons. He's played three games against them so far, two last year, and then one this year. And the receiving lines in those games go 11 targets, seven catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, 14 targets, 10 catches, 156, and a touchdown. And then two, a couple weeks ago, 14 targets, 10 catches, 117 yards, and a touchdown. So he's been over uh, 11 plus targets, seven plus catches, and a touchdown in all three career meetings against the Falcons, uh, does that factor in into making you more confident or do you think that's just kind of noise or how do you look at that? I think sometimes it could be a tiebreaker. Um, I'm, I mean – a lot of times we could it can work in the opposite way. We talked about it last week with Julio, where teams know that that's how they got dominated, so they do everything they can to to stop that player. I just think in this a spot like this, it's a case by case basis. Uh, New Orleans has so many weapons with Ingram, Kamara, uh, Thomas. It's it's kind of hard to zero in on on one player and try to take that away, especially when you have someone like Kamara that could be, beat you out of the backfield, and you have a Drew Brees that could turn anybody into a superstar in a single game. So I, I think uh, given the choice, I'm still just going to look at uh, more recent data, in-season data, uh, the last six or seven weeks data over uh, history, but it's definitely something that is worth noting. Yeah, I think it's just, it seems to be, it really is on a case-by-case basic basis. In this case, I think Dan Quinn's defense, they tend to, concede certain types of catches they tend to concede those those short uh high percentage underneath looks and then rally to make the tackle now they have been playing more man coverage recently but um you, you've kind of seen that in the past with running backs as well against those Atlanta defenses where they might be efficient in terms of stopping their yards per target or whatnot but they do give up catches and I think that's kind of what we've been seeing with Thomas as well. Because if you look at the stat lines, I mean, seven for 71, that's just 10 yards a catch. Um, and then he had the 10 for 156, but even that, that's 15.6 a catch. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, 11.7 per catch. So it's not like Thomas is beating them a ton with these long, big plays down the field. It's just been more of those consistent underneath catches where you kind of get him in some space and he comes across the field and he catches it and maybe he doesn't he doesn't get too much after the catch but um, I I think we could see that continuing 
either way, I mean, regardless of the past production, as you mentioned, TJ, just uh, high market share guy and very consistent guy all season long. And actually, that, that's a credit to the Saints and Sean Payton because how many times have we talked about both on the show and just in general where you see a team not play to you know their strengths or get mm-hmm. too fancy like Andy Reid did where it's like the the Saints they they just they said you know forget Willie Sneed forget all these other guys it's it's Ingram it's Kamara and it's Thomas yeah. and that's really what they do week in and week out like Drew Brees has actually been one of the most consistent quarterbacks in terms of floor and ceiling it's like he doesn't hit a ceiling but he also doesn't go below <laughs> right. a certain floor either it's just it's it just kind of speaks to what the Saints have been able to do on a consistent basis so um, Got to give some props to Sean Payton for keeping Michael Thomas and, and his other weapons involved week in and week out. For me at wide receiver on DraftKings, I'm going with Jarvis Landry here. He is 6,300 and he has scored double digit DraftKings points in all 12 of Jay Cutler's starts. And the the great thing about Landry this season is that he's actually third in the league in targets inside the 10 yard line. And he has 12 of them, and he's actually converted eight of them into touchdowns. So previously, Landry was a guy who you kind of worried about his touchdown upside because he was getting all these short passes. And, well, that's great for PPR. They weren't going for much yardage, and he wasn't scoring many touchdowns. But this season, he has become their go-to guy in the red zone in scoring position, and he's been delivering. So I think that kind of increases – Landry's upside significantly and already talked about the floor double digit points in all 12 of Jay Cutler starts the Kansas City Chiefs are ranked 25th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed two wide receivers and this is a game where you could see you know Miami get behind Kansas City is a 10 point favorite as we record this Kansas City's at home in Arrowhead and if that happens Julius Thomas on the injury reserve you have Devontae Parker banged up we don't know if he's going to go so if they get behind it's probably going to be Jarvis Landry and, and Kenyon Drake getting the majority of the targets so I think Landry is another one of those real high floor plays and that that scoring position usage gives him a lot of upside as well especially at that price point in that middle salary range and moving over to FanDuel I'm looking at Robert Woods and this is actually an interesting situation and it's gonna the theme is the same in the tight end that I'm going to talk about in a bit. But what happened was I think when FanDuel was finalizing their pricing on Sunday, if you look at the forecast, the weather forecasts, there was a storm predicted in Kansas city and there was a storm predicted in Nashville and also uh, bad weather predicted in the uh, in Cincinnati as well. And when if you look at FanDuel pricing, it seems like they price down the passing game options in those games because what I did was I when I downloaded the uh, FanDuel pricing, you know, when 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 the slates first come out, you can download the pricing, and I usually just divide the uh, the, the points by the points that they actually scored for the season by their salary, just to kind of see who the site is overpricing relative to past production or underpricing. And, you know, most players that tend to be in a, that 1.5 X range or whatnot, but it just seemed like the the best values were all of the chiefs and all of the Rams uh, passing game options and the dolphins passing game options. 
and, and, and the Titans passing game options for the most part. And I think that's what happened is that they, they thought there's these storms were coming, but those storms are no longer in the forecast. So you're actually getting a tiny little um, discount on some of these players in these games. And I think Robert Woods is one of them. He's 6,600. He has five or more catches in seven of his last nine games, leads the Rams with a 27% share of the team's air yards. That's per airyards.com. He also has a 22% target share, which leads the team as well. The Titans rank 18th in schedule adjusted fancy points allowed two wide receivers. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be on Todd Gurley, but the Rams passing game also in a good spot, particularly Robert Woods, who has been their number one wide receiver. And I think at that price on FanDuel, you're getting kind of a, a pretty good safety net uh, where where Woods, given his previous production and how involved he's been in that offense, has a good chance uh, of meeting value at only 6,600. Yeah, I think probably a lot of people are going to uh, overlook the fact that uh, Woods saw seven targets last week, that he found the end zone. He's a player that uh, I wrote up as my GP. PP plays last week just because before uh, his injury where he missed three weeks, he was uh, pretty pretty clearly uh, emerging as their wide receiver one, and I think uh, that's going to continue. Obviously, uh, that was just a, a, a blowout last week where Todd Gurley took over, but uh, Woods over the, these last couple of weeks, I think, is is a really good play. And then Jarvis Landry, I, I want to go back to just because it's something we've talked about a, a lot in theory, especially in, in things like preseason pods where I think people still don't uh, fully grasp the fact that if there's a position that's immune to the Vegas lines, immune to a, a low scoring spot, it is wide receiver. And and yeah, Miami is only projected for 16 points, but 88 uh, percent of their pa- uh, their touchdowns have come through the passing game. That's the second highest. They pass 74 percent of the time in the red zone. That's the highest in the league. No other team throws more than 64% of the time in the red zone. Uh, obviously, the shifts a little bit with Drake, but uh, there's so many opportunities for Landry in that offense that I just really like both of those plays this week. So moving on to, to tight end, uh, you, you mentioned pricing on the sites when you're talking about wide receivers. And one thing that we've seen this year is a, a pretty big shift in pricing. We've seen a, a handful of relatively consistent tight ends uh, priced really high uh, relative to what we're used to seeing. Usually only a, a couple players priced really high this week. Uh, seven tight ends on Fandle's main slate priced above $6,000. So if you can find an affordable tight end, uh, you you should pre- you should hop on it when you can because they just have been few and far between this year. And one of the go- those guys this week is Eric Ebron. He's $5,200 on FanDuel, $3,700 on DraftKings against uh, a Cincinnati defense that I mentioned when talking about Stafford is is really banged up. And one of those spots where they are banged up is uh, linebacker if Perfect is still out and they have a safety out. Uh, Eric Ebron averaging six targets uh, per game over the last six weeks. That's six at his position. Uh, three of his last five games, he has seen at least seven targets and he's led Detroit in targets in back-to-back weeks. Uh, Cincinnati now ranks 29th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. So again, if, if you're attacking this uh, Detroit passing attack and, and you want a piece of it and you want an affordable piece of it, I think Ebron is, is a really affordable play. And I know people still uh, probably a little bit scared of Eric Ebron because he has underwhelmed quite a bit. But uh, if you are going to punt one position, I always like it to be tight 
ahead and when I can. So that affordable price tag, uh, it's not going to be a too. It's not going to hurt too much, especially in cash games, if he he doesn't do what we project him to as a top two value. Yeah, tight end as you mentioned, always a position where if you can kind of punt, especially you know when there is an option like that, getting the targets in the good matchup, I think you want to consider it. And if you want to pay up a little bit, I don't think you have to go all the way up to Gronk this week. Of course, he's always going to be a great play week in and week out. But Travis Kelsey is at 6,900 on DraftKings and 7,000 on FanDuel. And he's tied for a second behind only Gronk in targets per game at the tight end position, averaging 8.1 per game. And his 30% air yard market share and 24% target share uh both lead uh, both are tied for the lead excuse me uh, among tight ends in the league this season Miami has really struggled against the position they are 27th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends they're also fourth in terms of tight end funnel rating which is a, a metric I came up with that essentially compares the percentage of schedule adjusted production that a defense allows to wide receivers versus tight ends and you're seeing Miami giving up a lot more production to the tight end so I think this is a smash spot for Kelsey at home and as I mentioned that $7,000 price tag on FanDuel I think that was due to the weather forecast when pricing was initially finalized so I think you're getting a little bit of a, a discount there I think he should be priced a little higher especially given the matchup yeah, I like uh, I like Kelsey a lot this week. Miami has allowed the highest red zone passing touchdown rate in the league this year. So even though I talked about uh, that shift to to rushing a little bit in the red zone with Nagy calling plays, still they don't need a, a lot of opportunities against this Miami defense. So a uh, ton tons of upside there, and like you mentioned. Paying all the way up for Gronk, uh, it, it's a fine play, but often he's so expensive that it, it does limit your overall team floor a little bit, which is why uh, you rarely see Gronk show up in our uh, optimal lineups on 4 for 4 So I, I do like the the price saving on Kelsey, especially on, on Fandle. I think he's $1,400 cheaper, so you're getting a, a huge discount on Kelsey compared to Gronk this week. And uh, moving on to my kicker pick for the week, there's a lot of kickers with some really good indicators this week uh, in, in terms of like Vegas and, and point spreads being at home, but they're priced up really high. Almost all the decent spots are, are $5,000 or above. And I think especially if those cheap running backs don't up, end up being available with if Mixon and, and say Tevin Coleman end up being active, you might need to save every dollar possible. So Graham Gano at, at $4,800, a slight discount to some of those other kickers. Uh, Carolina's a 10-point favorite, 28.25 implied point total, and Gano hasn't missed a field goal since week five. So uh, pretty pretty much my guy, especially because, like I said, I'm probably going to need those extra couple bucks this week. At defense, I got the New England Patriots. I think they're pretty cost-effective option $3,000 on DraftKings, $4,600 on FanDuel. They currently have the largest spread on the main slate. They are 12-point favorites in Foxborough against the Buffalo Bills, and the Bills are ranked 24th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing defenses. That's probably a little bit inflated because of Nathan Peterman and his 
five interceptions. But still, I think this is a, a tough matchup for Tyrod Taylor and the Bills going to Foxborough, going to, to face a defense that they can they can cover on the outside. Taylor doesn't really uh, do well throwing over the middle and reading the field over the middle. So I think I think New England will be able to shut him down and just you know given the the spread and given the price I think they're a nice defense that you can feel confident about. I know they haven't produced as much in these last couple of games but remember they were on a three game road trip and now they're back at home and they 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 were playing some really good defense uh over over those past few weeks at home after they got things corrected early in the season. So I think you're going to see New England kind of handle business as usual and Buffalo is going to, to to struggle on the road. Buffalo is a team that historically uh, with Tyrod Taylor has struggled on the road and that has actually continued this season. They averaged three points per game less on the road and they're only two and four on the road compared to four and two at home. So New England Patriots, I'm going with them this week as my defense and we don't have the primetime slate out yet as we record this on Wednesday. So we can't really get into to too much of the pricing, but you know, I guess we could quickly just go over. It's the it's Pittsburgh Steelers. They're 10 point favorites at the Houston Texans. The things you need to know about that game. I'm sure you know already Antonio Brown is out. So you're going to see Juju Smith Schuster become the number one wide receiver. You're going to see Martavis Bryant be the number two. I think both of those guys uh, haven't seen their salaries. Um, don't know if the salary is going to change differently from the Saturday through Monday slate to to the primetime only, but um, pretty sure those guys are going to be good plays. Houston ranks dead last in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And then we have the Oakland Raiders going to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. You know, Oakland has struggled against the pass all year long. So, you know, 24th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So this I think this is another week where you can look at Nick Foles. Uh, the Eagles implied total is still hovering around 28 points, even with Foles as the quarterback in this one. So, Zach Ertz, Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar, all those guys will be in play on that slate as well. And Jay Ajayi's usage rate has been steadily climbing each of these past few weeks since he joined the team. Since the buy, his snap rate went from 20% to 28% to 41% to 47% to 52% last week against the Giants. So Ajayi, home favorite, probably in a good spot against this Oakland defense as well but don't really have the pricing or or, or the, the entire slate out yet for these for these two uh games but that's that's essentially what it is in a nutshell so we'll get into our bold calls of the week tj who you got for a player bold call player bold call i'm gonna say Jameis Winston's a top five fantasy quarterback this week. Carolina's a tough defense, but uh, since Jameis Winston's returned from his injury, he's top five in fantasy points per game, fantasy points per pass attempt, and touchdown rate. Uh, and we always like to look after those those correlation plays. And yeah, Tampa Bay is a big underdog, but uh, if, if uh, they're forced into a, a pass-heavy game script, uh, Winston has been very efficient since returning. And 270 yards and at least two touchdowns in 
all three of those games. So uh, I like the correlation play, and I think uh, Jameis can sneak in a big game this week. Yeah, I like it. I actually was writing about this in my uh, primetime slate breakdown for DraftKings last week that if you remove the games where Jameis Winston did not finish, he was actually averaging over 19 fantasy points per game coming into last week. And that was the most on the primetime slate. And he ended up being the top quarterback on that slate. He just continues to produce in, in these situations, has had a, a lot of high yardage totals, uh, 328 against Minnesota in week three, 332 against the Giants in week four, 334 against New England in week five. Then he didn't finish the game in week six, but comes back with 384 against Buffalo and three touchdowns in week seven. And then uh, kind of a quiet game against Carolina in week eight. That was the game that was affected by the wind, if you if you remember that game. So, uh, you know, kind of forgivable a little bit there. Then he didn't finish the next game. But then, yeah, it comes back 270, 285, 299 with multiple touchdowns in each. So Jameis Winston's been a pretty high floor performer as long as he's able to finish out the game. So I, I like the call there. Uh, I'm going with kind of a, an off-the-wall call here. I'm going to say Mike Gillisley comes back and scores multiple touchdowns in this game. Um, now, of course, this all hinges on Rex Burkhead. It looks like he's not going to play this week. And if he doesn't, that would give Gillisley a shot to be active. And if he's active against his former team with the playoffs coming near, I think New England has been hesitant to overuse Deion Lewis. So I think you can see a situation where they throw Gillisley right back into the mix kind of use him like we envisioned early in the season in that Garrett Blunt role. And you do have that 12-point spread. You do have that Buffalo defense that has really struggled to stop the run and it's kind of been shown that you can run down their throats. They rank uh, 31st in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. They are 28th in run defense DVOA per football outsider. So I think this is a situation where maybe kind of like that Jonas Gray situation from a few years ago where he just kind of came out of nowhere, but we knew that Bill Belichick wanted to smash the Colts in the mouth and run the ball. I think you might see something similar transpire this week with Gillespie as long as he uh, gets activated. And that's a nice callback on the Jonas Gray. Uh, only the hardcore should remember <laughs> that one. Yeah, man. Uh, who you got for a, a team game bowl call? Team bowl call, I'm going to say uh, Seattle beats the Cowboys this week. Seattle's a, a road underdog, and everyone saw them just get smacked by the Rams last week. But the, the Rams are just one of those teams that have had Seattle's number, man. I, I think they swept them last year, at least beat them once. They always put up a really good fight against them, held them to 16 points earlier in the year. So for whatever reason, the Rams are just a, a team that, that uh, Seattle struggles against. But uh, the, the Seahawks, they just put up 24 points a couple of weeks ago on probably the best defense in the league in Jacksonville. And this isn't a team that's just going to uh, roll over and die. I know a lot of people are, are going to be looking to Zeke's return, but uh, I think Russ keeps that hot streak going. And uh, kind of throughout last week is an outlier week where things just got really out of hand and, and Seattle keeps fighting for that playoff spot. Yeah, I like it. I think Seattle's still the better team. Now you have Tyron Smith, the left tackle for the Cowboys. Um, he's banged up. There's a question of whether he's going to play. Of course, it's Wednesday, so we never know for sure with these things, but that's something to monitor as well. But yeah, I like that. I, I do think Seattle is still the better team, even though they got uh, smashed by the Rams last week. I think the Rams are just a really good team 
as well. But that will about wrap it up for us. Hope you guys enjoyed the week 16 episode of DFS MVP. If you did um, and you want to take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes, we would really appreciate that. And want you guys to have a great holiday and hopefully make some shmoney with your DFS plays this weekend. Hope everybody's safe out there and enjoys this weekend and spends it with family, eating good and all that good stuff. Uh, be sure to follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. TJ, any last words? Happy holidays to everybody. Hope you guys get uh, plenty of shmoney in your stockings. Let's get this shmoney. Round drop piece coming. Who is Mike Jones coming? Slap shining with the grill and warming. Slap shining with the grill and warming. I'm Mike Jones. Ooh. Mike Jones, the one and only. You can't clone it. Got a lot of haters and a lot of homies. Some friends and some phony. Back then, hoes didn't want me. Now I'm hot hoes all on me. Back then, hoes didn't want me. Now I'm hot hoes all on me. Back then, hoes didn't want me. Now I'm hot hoes all on me. Back then, hoes didn't want me. Now I'm hot hoes all on me. <laughs>